Welcome to Books on Air, the podcast that tells the story behind the book. It includes insights from authors about how they compose their work, what inspires them, and what they hope you'll take away from their book. Here's your host for this episode of Books on Air, Suzanne Harris. Welcome to the Books on Air podcast. I'm Sloan Fremont filling in for Suzanne Harris. This is the podcast where listeners get the secret story behind every book. We have all heard about fairy stories in which the knight must rescue the beautiful woman who is locked in the tower. But what happens when the king is pursued into the tower by assassins and the beautiful woman must try to stop them? Because this is not a fairy story. This is something that actually happened in Scotland in the 15th century. And joining me today is Ewan McPherson, author of the book, A Dagger for Catherine Douglas, to tell us more about this. Ewan, welcome to the Books on Air podcast. Good morning, uh, Sloan. Um, uh, it's maybe morning where you are. It's not where I am. Uh, yeah, um, well, yeah. Well, if I start just, if I start at the beginning, okay? I was sure. 10 years old and I was in hospital when I was 10 years old, actually mm-hmm. twice. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was off the school. I couldn't go to school. So my mother went into the school and she said, you know, you're interested in history. I, you know, I was actually, I did quite like history. And she got a history book. She brought a history book back for me. So I, I, I read that when I was at home. So I'm 10 years old reading this history book at home. And the reason I'm telling you this is because I, I had been used to Batman, watching things like Batman, you know, with right. Adam. I'm so old. There was the Adam West Batman. I loved that program, actually. Adam mm-hmm. West, you know. I'm used to watching that and John Wayne cavalry film, you know, cowboy films, cavalry films, whatever, you know, and the good guys always won. So you would have a predicament, the guys would get thrown in a predicament and they always win in the end. You know, that was that. And that's what I was used to. And that's what I was expecting. And so here we had a situation where people tried to assassinate the king and the assassins, they knew where he was. Okay. So if I just explain the situation a little bit, it's, it's 1437. People travel around on horseback or in carriages drawn by horses. Very sounds a lot like Cinderella, but that, that in a sense mm-hmm. that's that's not too far from where we are. Um, so to travel around the country, but the king to travel around the country, that was not a simple thing, right? You know, um, uh, and he would have meetings around the country. So you would travel somewhere, stay overnight, travel to somewhere else, stay overnight. Mm-hmm. This was the way that in the Middle Ages or whatever, the medieval world, whatever, this is the way that kings did their business. They traveled around. Right. And um, so if you wanted to attack the king, you would know things. You would know, in this case, we're in February 1437, and the assassins knew he was going to be in Perth in Scotland, not Perth, Australia, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, Perth at that time was called St. John's Town after St. John the Baptist, because there's a church dedicated to St. John the Baptist there, so people talked about St. John's Town. Mm-hmm. So you would know, you would know, in February, uh, the king's going to be in St. John's Town. You would know that. So uh, the, the king had royal apartments in uh, attached to Blackfriars Monastery, and the assassins removed the bolts from the doors to the royal bedchamber. So the, the you know, um, in those days, actually, there was quite a lot of security because there, there would be the royal bedchamber. Mm-hmm. And then around that, there'd be other bedchambers, ladies in waiting, the children in the nursery. There were no corridors. So normally you think about a castle or whatever, you think lots of corridors with these burning right. braziers and all yeah. these statues of these knights in armour, you know. 
Um, no, there were no corridors. So that to get to the king's bedroom, I actually had to go through a series of bedrooms. So actually, okay. the security was quite good. Mm-hmm. But the, the assassins removed the bolts from the doors. And it gets to midnight. So the king is just doing kingly things. Um, he's been eating too much, too late, drinking wine. You have people playing the harp, mm-hmm. you know, the pipers, this sort of thing going on. And then they hear a commotion outside. Somebody shouts treason. One of the servants tries to 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 stop these people coming in. It's about six of them. Um, so they realise what's going on. They hear what's going on. So they flee through these bed chambers to their own bed bedroom. Mm-hmm. Of course, there's no bolts in the doors. So obviously just, you know, we're not talking about locks that you would turn with a key. We're talking about you'd shut the, sh- shut the door and put a wooden bar right, through the brackets. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the way you would lock the door. Right. The, the, the assassins have taken the bolts away. So they get into the, um, they get finally they get into the royal uh, uh, bed chamber and there's nowhere to go now. Mm-hmm. And uh, Catherine tries to shut the door. How is she going to do that? So this is Catherine Douglas. This is the central character in the story. She tries to shut the door. How is she going to do that? There's no bolt. She puts her arm through the brackets to shut the door. And, um, you know, so I'm 10 years old reading this story. What then happens is the king rips up the floorboards, tries to get out through the sewer. The assassins batter the door down on top of Catherine and uh, then they get into the room by the time they get in so Catherine actually held the door for quite a long time by the time they get in the queen has spread a carpet over the floor mm-hmm. so the assassins come in and here they are in an empty bedchamber. there's a carpet on the floor there's the queen where's the king but they did, you know I mean how do you how do you hide you know how do you hide a hole on the floor you know mm-hmm. um <laughs> um, they, 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 they did roll back the carpet so there's five of them so the story goes one, one went in fought underneath the bedroom this is in the sewer fought in the sewer with the king the king killed him and I guess you would say the king had a slight advantage here because his eyes would be used to the dark accustomed to the dark now the second one gets ordered down goes down into the sewer gets killed so that's two have gone in and got killed so then the three of them, they decide, we'll just go in together. So three of them went in together and they killed the king in the sewer. And, you know, so that's the story. Now, as I said, I read this 10 years old, having grown up on Batman, I'm so old. Uh, Stingray also, I remember watching that. I mean, you'll not know what I'm talking about, Sloan. But um, uh, I was just expecting, when Catherine put her arms through the door, I was expecting, you know, the heroic ending. She was going to save right. the king's life. That's what I was waiting for. And it never came. And, you know, it actually, what happened was I put the book down. I stopped reading the book. I couldn't read it anymore. And I didn't pick it up again. I never picked that book up again. I was 10 years old. But that story left an impression on me. Mm-hmm. And um, so here I am a long time later, um, just writing a novel about it. Because I think I think it's, it's something, you know, it... it you know, it's it, to me, it's an example of traditional. I know we kind of live in a different world now, you know, but it's kind of it's an example of traditional female 
courage. What do women do if you think about mothers traditionally, if we think about, you know, throughout, throughout history, what do you normally do? You make sacrifices for other people. That's normally what the woman does. Right. So other people get to be rich and famous or whatever. It's the woman who makes the sacrifices. Uh, and here's, a, here's, here's Catherine just, you know, doing what and might come quite naturally to the woman. She sacrificed herself to save the king, mm-hmm. except, of course, she doesn't save the king, you know. But I just felt it's, 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 just, it's just something um, that people should, should know the story a bit more, I think, than yeah. they do. And so your book, A Dagger for Catherine, Catherine Douglas, is, is based on the Catherine from the story that you read when you were 10 years old. That's right. And is, is she the star of the story that you, in your book? Yeah, I mean, obviously, um, the golden rule with writing is write about what you know. And, and so, yeah, she's, she's the central character, but I have another male character as well. So I kind of, the male character, you know, a lot of the way that I look at the world and a lot of my thoughts about the world come through the male character. Mm-hmm. So the male character uh, is involved in this story and he's in, involved with Catherine. So you have this love story running between the male oh, character, okay. his name's Sean Campbell. Yeah, and so you have you have this love story running between Sean Campbell and Catherine Douglas, and obviously you want to know how's this story going to end. So your your focus, partly because a lot of people, I mean, you know, a lot of people who read this story will not really know the history. You know, a lot of people who read it won't know the history, but some people who read it will know the history. So if you know the history, you know the ending, certainly with relation to Catherine and the King. So I brought this other character in. So this is where I bring in a bit of fiction into you know into a factual tale, and. Um, so Sean, Can- Sean Campbell and Catherine Douglas, the story is really about their relationship and the choices that they have to make, and they find themselves in this situation. Uh, I'm not sure how much to say here because it is a, a novel in which you don't really want to give away the ending. Exactly, you really you want to, want, <laughs> right? Because we want to give away to too much. Yeah. So why don't we maybe tell maybe one of your uh, maybe one of your favorite scenes in the book that you wrote about, or even as you were kind of touching on the the theme of um, how you were going for something a little bit different and, and to kind of point out the female side of things. Is there a particular um, scene in the book you might want to share with the listeners? Uh, well, actually, um, uh, um, I mean, what I suppose you know, I mean. Uh, there's a lot of things in the book that I'm really proud of, that I'm really pleased with. If we begin at the beginning, because I set up the character of Sean Campbell very early on, and this is something that, again, is fictional, but is based on something that happened. Right. Because um, if I talk about the Battle of Waterloo, which now, now this story is set in 1437. The Battle of Waterloo takes place mm-hmm. in 1815. But before the battle, on the eve of the battle, there was a French... Um, mansion and a Scots regiment was asked to capture this French mansion. Now the point about that is if you've got a mansion you've got walls and windows and things like that so it's a very good lookout point but it's also you can shoot you know from position of being you know protected by the walls and stuff. Right. It's quite an important thing to hold if you're fighting a battle. Let's have like you know it's like holding the high ground let's get that you know. Yeah yeah. Um, so this Scots regiment was asked to take this mansion and they managed to get in and, and, and hold it. And, but there were some French soldiers in there as well. And they went through these gardens and they found a drummer boy. And um, so I've used, you know, this is a story that I had a long, long time ago. They found this drummer boy. And so I've used that story as well because 
Mm-hmm. Sean Campbell at the very start of the story, he's involved in an attack on a castle, and this is just setting up the character. Right. And they come across a drummer boy and somebody that Sean is with cuts the throat of the drummer boy for the obvious reason that you can't have him making a noise. You've got to think about yourself and your own preservation, self-preservation. So they cut the throat. And cutting the throat is a very effective way to get rid of somebody because they can't scream, you know, as well as you're not going to last very long because there's so much blood coming out. So it gets rid of you very quickly, very efficiently. So, you know, so, but the character who does that, the drummer boy, doesn't get out of the castle. And Sean does, and then Sean is left with this hanging over him. Did he do it? And nobody's really sure, you know. And he has this, so he is he's carrying this black mark around this, 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 you know, you know, maybe he was the guy that did it. So he, you know, when he comes to King James's court, he's coming with this reputation. Maybe he cut the boy's throat. So th- th- so um uh that's you know that's um how we set the character up and it then it means that it's very it's quite difficult so that Catherine and Sean begin a relationship Catherine's parents aren't going to be very happy about it because they you know of who he is right so then you know um so uh there's a lot in the story which is based on things that really happened although they maybe didn't happen in exactly the way they're described in the story or at that time but there's quite a lot that's coming out of things that we know happened you know i mean there's been a lot of wars fought across europe you know mm-hmm. over the, over the past thousand years or so there's been a lot of them and a mm-hmm. lot of horrible things have happened and so there's quite a lot of things there that i've tried to use in the story i think also things that i'm quite pleased with is just the interaction of the character because king james and queen joan had eight children so that you have these princesses and running about the castle and, and and talking to each other and doing things that children do, which is interrupt and you know mm-hmm. I might be talking about something with you and they're more interested in you know I want a, you know I want an ice cream as it might be today or whatever you know but you know so I, I think the characters the, the way they interact I think is very lively and I'm really pleased with that. But the other thing I think is unusual about the story, which I'd maybe like to just talk about a little bit. Sure. King James and Queen Joan had a had a love match really which is very unusual because usually at that time marriages were royal alliances it's an alliance between my country and yours right if, you know if if my son marries your daughter we're not going to go to war you know that that you know um and and but what happened was um king james was in exile and you have a love match between him and uh, joan beaufort and then he came back to Scotland, so he was in England, and he came back to Scotland. He was in exile. Uh, this is not really in the story; it's backstory. It's not really in the story, but the background was that King James's elder brother was murdered when he was about twelve years old, and his father, who was still alive, sent him to France just to get him out of there so he'd be safe. But the boat was actually inter- intercepted by pirates who took him to England. Oh, so wow. he spent about. He's, yeah, so so he spent about 18 years in England because it wasn't safe for him to come to Scotland. But then what happens is his father's dead, his brother's dead. He's the king in exile. And he came back. But he came back with his bride, with Joan, which again was something that, it was a love match. And, 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 and that's wonderful. In terms of the politics of the time, it probably wasn't very clever because if, if he'd come back as a single man, 
he could have married into a powerful family and started to make alliances, which he needed, you know. Right, yes, but um, he came back with his wife, Joan, and all this is in the story, and they reminisce about how they met. And you know, so there's, there's, you know, quite, um, I'm quite pleased about the way that I've developed the characters, not just Sean and Catherine, but also the king and Queen Joan and their large family. I'm, I'm quite pleased right. with the way the whole thing runs together. Yeah, good. Yeah, and that intersection of... Uh, based on true events, but then having the freedom to be able to get creative with some of it too and and take that and um, build that story and build those characters in a way that um, really is makes for an interesting story and an authentic one based on, you know, your, what you, you know about history. And, and it sounds like your, your interest in that, that's something you're, you're very interested in. And uh, it sounds like something you enjoy doing. Yeah, I, I don't know what it is, but I mean, I think with history, I do find it fascinating. I think because, you, you know, we have these sort of ghosts from the past. They're there. They existed. They're part of what we are, part of what made us, you know, right. but we can't we can't ever really pin them down. I mean, if, as I said, this story's set in 1437. One of the beautiful things about writing a fictional story is you can put words into their mouths. You could not possibly do that. If I was writing a factual piece, you know, if I want to write a factual history, a factual biography, the life of King James I, for example, you're, you're really tied down to the facts that we know. Well, what are the facts that we know? Well, that comes down to the documents that have survived. And there are documents that didn't survive. We know nothing about that. Or we, you know, so there's, you know, if you're writing factual history, you're really, you're, you're weighed down or chained, you know, you know, with, with, you know, here's the documents that have survived. That's all you've got. Right. You know? Um, if you're writing fiction, you've got so much more freedom, okay? Yeah. You know, and I can, you know, King James said this, he scratched his chin, he thought pensively, whatever. You can do all of that. You couldn't do that. You couldn't do that in a in a history book. That's right. And that it kind of, hearing you describe that also feels like you get to step into the character a little more than if you were writing the factual book, because the factual book is only telling you fact one fact two, you know whatever the the list of facts are they're not seems like they don't um often go too far into the personality of the person and being able to create characters and step into that role seems um seems like it would be very fun and very interesting way to to approach a historical um historical events yeah and it allows you to actually create your own characters because you can look at the situation and i'm looking at it and i see king james meeting queen joan when he's actually in exile, you know, mm-hmm. and then they come back together. So it allows you to think about their relationship. And she came, she left her family behind her mother, whatever, came up to Scotland uh, with him, not realizing probably how much snow we would get or how cold it would be, <laughs> discovering all that for the first time. Right. Um, you know, so yeah, it allows you to um, go into the characters in a way that you couldn't possibly, if you're, you know, if you're writing a history book, um, You've got to be very careful because you've got to try your best to be true to the known facts. And, you know, um, as I said, with, with fiction, you, you, obviously the, no, the known facts are there and you right. can't change them. But right. you can. But where there's gaps and there's gaps in between and where there's gaps, you just fill in the gaps. And, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, I know that, you know, that uh, if, 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 if you think about it in this kind of way, you know, um, you know, that... Uh, I know you might say, you know, if somebody's in London and they're going to Vancouver, you might say, well, maybe they stopped, they took a flight, maybe they stopped at New York, 
you know, if I know, if I know from, you know, if I know somebody was in London at this date and in Vancouver at this other date, you know, these are facts, but within these facts, I can think, well, I'm going to have them stop off in New York. You know, you think about it that way, you know. Yeah. You can do things that are completely logical and, 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 you know, and, and, but it's how you see the characters and you can have them act in a way that's completely normal and human and whatever. And, and obviously, you know, you're drawing from your own life as well, your own life experiences. So when I'm writing about these characters, I'm thinking about things that have happened to me, my memories, my memories of things that have happened. So when I'm looking at the children that are interacting, I'm thinking about things in my childhood. So you're using as much, you know, true material as you possibly can, you know, from wherever it's coming from, you know, to create this story. So it just gives it that ring of authenticity. Yeah. Uh, What are you most surprised about about your book maybe about the writing process or what you experienced during the writing I think what I'm surprised about is uh, this may sound a bit strange but I'm actually surprised about the way people have have really enjoyed it you people who've read it Mm -hmm. have really enjoyed it because when I'm writing it I'm wrapped up in the whole thing and I'm writing it and I'm just I'm immersed in this world but once you've written it and it's a way your kind of your self doubt then kicks yeah. in, mm-hmm. and you don't really think any of it's any good. <laughs> right. you know, We're our own worst critic, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, and, and um, I've had some very nice things said about it, and very nice things said about the way the you know the characters interact in a very lively kind of manner. I've had some very nice things said about it, which has been really pleasing for me. You know, yeah, to be and able to show the work to other people it's when you we get creative and we write and we do things like this and then it's you know like you're saying we have that we put it out to the world and it's like oh my gosh how's the world going to receive it but then you start getting the positive reviews and people you know enjoying it as well as you did to put it out there so that's such a I would imagine such a great feeling to have yeah and then sometimes um you know you read reviews or whatever or or, you know and and, and there's things in the book and you but my gosh, I didn't even know that was there, you know, and yeah. and um, because one of the, there was a review, uh, a review was published actually, which was saying that, you know, the book shows the dichotomy of people, how they, um, uh, you know, maybe thinking one thing, but you're feeling something else. Yeah. And, and, and you know, that, you know, and I'm thinking, well, yeah, okay, that's interesting. I hadn't even thought about that. But if you're living in a court, you know, there's the whole etiquette of courtly life. So mm-hmm. of course you're not going to just say how you, you're not going to be talking about how you feel all the time, you know. It's, right. Mm-hmm. And so how, how you how catches a feeling is really just it's it's inferred. You have to you know you're you're you know they're interacting with each other in a formal kind of way, and you have to infer from that how are they feeling. I mean, just to give you an example, but I've got a character in the story called Jean Locker, who's one of the ladies in waiting, mm-hmm. and. Um, uh, and her name's not Jean Bishop, it's Jean Locker. But the reason I said Jean Bishop was because it's based on somebody I know whose name is Jean Bishop, who's never going to speak to me now if she hears this podcast. But anyway, uh, never, never speak to me again. Anyway, um, but um, uh, uh, she's been asked to leave the Queen's bedroom. She's been plating the Queen's hair. She's been asked to leave the Queen's bedroom because there's other things going on. And one of the princesses says, Jamie, so this is the King's son, young Jamie, mm-hmm. uh, says... Jamie has a dead mouse and he wants to show you, to which Jean says, marvellous. And the reason, you know, the, the reason that's in there is because this is actually the way that the Jean that I 
know that I, you know that I was using in in my head was creating the character of Jean Locker when when uh, uh, when she was speaking. That's exactly the way that she was speaking. Exactly the kind of thing mm-hmm. she would say. So, who would you say your book would appeal to, and why? Obviously, you hope everybody. You hope it works as an adventure story and as a love story. Obviously, you hope that. I think in a lot of ways, this is a book for women. I'm saying this as a man, and I'm not trying to be patronising here, but it is a female story for me, or it's the way that I see women, and you can shoot me down in flames here, Sloan, if you want. <laughs> you know, but as I was said at the start, you know, that we live in a different world now where, you know, women have careers just like men, and, and there's not really any difference, you know. But but if we go back to, you know, like say the 15th century, that wasn't the way of things at all, right. you know. and 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 women were... Women were expected to make sacrifices. That was what you did. You know, like you were a mother, you made sacrifices for the children, for your husband. That was the way you lived your life, you know? And, you know, and so, you know, it's just, it, it's going back to those days. So, me, it's a kind of um, homage to female sacrifice, if you like. That's kind of the way that I see the story. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And that is, I mean, it's, we, in, in this day and age, it's not something we, um, really think about it. I don't think much until we're, you know, we read a story like this and remember how things used to be in that way and how different mm-hmm. that is for, in some ways, in some ways not, because there is still the, um, you know, the nature of men and women and how, you know, we are tendencies. And so um, I think it's very interesting to, 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 to read about that and um, just remember how things were, you know, many years ago and um, how things are today. So that's, um, just very interesting topic. And I, I wish we had more time, but we're coming up on, on the end of the episode here. So my guest this week has been Ewan McPherson, author of the book, A Dagger for Catherine Douglas. Ewan, thank you for joining us this week. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Before we close out, do you have any final thoughts you want to share with the listeners about your book? Well, only that when I'm writing, I, I like to write about people who have more courage than I do. And, and, and I mean, this is what maybe draws me to history. And I'm looking at people that get into situations and you think about how you would have fared in those situations and and and, and you know, so things that make an impression on me people when I see people acting with courage mm-hmm. you know with, sac- with making sacrifices that, that you know that makes an impression on me maybe because it just you know the coward in me thinks my goodness how did she do that you know or whatever yeah. you know yeah. um so you know yeah so that, that that's you know what motivates me to write maybe yeah, and I think we can all relate to that reading those things and, and having those parts of us that are, you know, that, you know, I wish I could do that. Or um, so I think that's it's so relatable. <laughs> so, Ewan, thanks again for joining us and being our guest on Books on Air. You can find more about the book, A Dagger for Catherine Douglas, on Amazon, and I'll link to the book in the show notes. So be sure to check that out. You've been listening to the Books on Air podcast brought to you on webtalkradio.net. You can also hear this podcast on Spotify iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. I'm Sloan Fremont, and I hope you'll join us for the next Books on Air podcast. Remember, you never know who's going to be here, and you never know what we're going to talk about. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>